Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. And so we begin another unprecedented and extraordinary week in American politics. Uh, I'm Bill Nygut. It's, it's kind of hard to grasp the fact that we continue to say that we're facing um, these extraordinary uh, days, weeks in our political life, uh, but they keep on coming at us uh, fast and furious. Um, over the weekend, we saw more videos uh, from the uh, insurrectionists who took over the United States Capitol, and one video after, after another shows us that this was much more violent than people may have realized initially. Um, there is a, one video that's now being circulated that is horrifying to watch. A, a Capitol Hill police officer dragged away from the entr- one of the entrances to the building, lying on the ground, being beaten badly beaten by a, a crowd of the uh, Trump uh, insurrectionists. And uh, as we see these things unfold, obviously we're watching to see when impeachment proceedings may get underway, um, whether or not the uh, Republicans in the House are going to join that effort. Um, and all of this is happening even as the Georgia legislature begins its 2021 session, where there is also also, a great deal of tension among Republicans over the way in which the aftermath of the November 3rd election unfolded here in Georgia and across the country. We're going to talk about all of that on the show today. And uh, so let's get right to our panel. Um, Jim Galloway, lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, joins us as he has been doing on Mondays and Fridays. Jim, we should not Uh, Neglect to mention, this is an incredibly consequential week for you as well. 41 years later, Friday is the day that you retire from the AJC. Congratulations on an incredible run. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bill. Uh, I'm not going to disappear, but it'll be nice to get out from under those deadlines. Yeah, as we get uh, Friday when we uh, do the show, I want to talk to you a little bit about what your plans are. One thing I am very happy to be able to report, because I keep hearing from listeners who wonder, is that you are going to continue being a presence on Political Rewind, which makes me very happy, but certainly our listeners are thrilled about that as well. We're also joined today by Julianne Thompson, a Republican strategist, longtime activist in Republican Party politics. Happy New Year, Julianne. We haven't seen you since the beginning of uh, 2021. I I know that you're not feeling a a lot of uh, exhilaration right now, given what's going on in the country. Well, thank you for having me, Bill. I'm happy to be here with all of you. And no, it's it's a very uh, devastating time for our country right now. But, you know, we're 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 going to overcome this and, you know, just the, the families of, of all of our legislators and all of our Capitol Police officers who were injured or perished are in our prayers. Thank you for saying that. We're joined also by Theron Johnson. He, of course, has a longtime Democratic uh, consultant. He was a senior advisor to the Biden-Georgia campaign. He is the founder and president of Paramount Consulting. And Theron, I have to tell our listeners 
You know, we all use WebEx to see each other. Uh, we can't share it, unfortunately, a video on the air. But you just showed, you just held, your five-month-old baby is with you as you do the show today. And he is beautiful, Theron. Thank, thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate that. Um, he has been awake pretty early this morning, but he will be listening to me and giving me uh, advice. And also, it's, just, it's, it's really good to be able to wake up in blue Georgia this morning. So I'm, I'm very excited about the show. <clears throat> Thanks for being with us. Uh, Jake Sherman uh, of Punchbowl is going to join us. He uh, has an MSNBC gig that he does every Monday morning, and he's doing that right now. And as soon as it's finished, he's going to join us. And uh, we'll start talking more about what's happening in Washington, uh, which is Jake's beat, the Capitol specifically, when he uh, gets with us. Uh, but in the meantime, Jim, let, let's start with, in fact, a couple of very important Georgia connections to what's happening in Washington. We know that that the House is right now has so far uh, thought about formulating one charge uh, that would be used in the impeachment, uh, and that would be an article accusing him essentially of um, uh, uh, instigating this uh, insurrection. Um, I don't have the exact language, but essentially inciting the insurrection that took place last Wednesday. But James Clyburn on the talk shows yesterday, suggested that they may want to fold into that a couple of very specific Georgia-related matters. Number one, um, of course, the phone call, the hour-long infamous phone call that Trump made to uh, Brad Raffensperger asking him to find him enough votes to overturn the outcome of the election here. Subsequently, we have learned that Trump earlier than that call uh, called an unnamed investigator and asked him in the Secretary of State's office and asked him to find fraud, um, the Secretary of State's office won't release that person's name out of fear that the person will be targeted. And then we've also learned that B.J. Pack, the U.S. Northern District U.S. Attorney here, sudden departure, his sudden uh, resignation was triggered because Trump pressured him to resign because he wasn't doing enough to investigate Trump's unfounded claims of election fraud. That came from the Wall Street Journal. So Georgia, very much a player in what's happening on the Hill right now, Jim. Right. And and actually, the, 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 the pressure was a little even a little more intense than that. Uh, we now know uh, we've got... Uh, We've got uh, uh, Ileana Johnson, uh, editor-in-chief of the Washington Free Beacon, saying that uh, Trump told uh, uh, Kelly Loeffler on the flight uh, uh, before he landed in Georgia that if she didn't support his uh, electoral college play on January 6th, that he was just going to he was going to uh, do a number on her uh, uh, from the stage from in, in Dalton. Uh, where he appeared on the Monday before the before the election. Now we also know, that we had several lawmakers state uh, in the state Senate uh, write a letter to Pence on June 2nd, same day that this uh, the Raffensperger Trump phone call appeared. Uh, they, 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 they put their names to a, a, uh, uh, a letter to Pence asking him to hold off on the uh, congressional certification of the Electoral College results for 12 days. Uh, they were buying into the Rudy Giuliani uh, uh, line on uh, the Fulton County video. Uh, and 
that was apparently it was the the, the letter. Uh, we're guessing the letter was delivered by Burke Jones, a state senator from Jackson, a Republican, uh, because uh, the in, in a in a Twitter uh, on uh, late uh, June five. Uh, this is the day before the the, the riots. He tweeted out a, a a photo of himself of himself at a at a dinner with Mike Pence in D.C. That tweet's now been uh, uh, disappeared. So it, there was there was a concerted campaign here to overturn uh, and delay Georgia's results. So, uh, Jim, do you have that story? Is that story now on AJC.com? Because I haven't seen it. You're giving me great new information. Uh, yeah, it, it will be the lead. It will be the lead of the jolt, uh, which I will put out after uh, I get off the air with you. Okay, and we'll put up a link to it. Is, is it uh, and are all of the uh, people who signed that letter named in the uh, story? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Let me see. Okay. Uh, 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 Brandon Beach, Matt Brass, uh, Greg Dolzel, uh, Bird Jones, and Matt Ligon. Um. So, Julianne, I have said from the very uh, aftermath of the election on November third, going forward, that occasionally it is very difficult these days to be a Republican on this show because uh, there is so much. Uh, divisiveness among Republicans about what's right and wrong in terms of the way uh, Trump uh, has continued his campaign until last week uh, to overturn the results of the election. So I'm always grateful we have Republicans on uh, and that you're willing to do it. Um, how, how is this? So let me ask you the broadest question. Um, how are you uh, filtering all this through your conservative lens? Well, this is not an issue. I mean, first of all, talking about what happened at the United States Capitol, that's not an issue of right versus left. It's an issue of right versus wrong. And, I mean, there, there should be no excuses. There should be no blame shifting. And there should be no covering. Republicans need to condemn it in, in the harshest of terms because it was pure evil they need to find the perpetrators, they need to prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law, and they need to lock them up. So I think that Republicans, that, that needs to be a unified message um, because it is there, there, are, there are no other ways to look at this. That's just the way that it is. Um, and I, Sarah, oh, will be very, I will be very forthcoming in the way that, that I condemn what happened. And, and okay, I'll tell you what, we'll hold off on asking more questions when, about what's happening in Washington in terms of the impeachment until a little later in the show. But Theron, let me get your initial reaction uh, to the fact that we now know that President Trump's efforts and response by some members, as Jim just told us, of the Georgia General Assembly to support him were much more extensive than we had previously understood, Theron. Bill, every minute that goes by that President Donald Trump is in the White House, it, it just makes me so furious. Um, he should he should do the right thing and just resign now. Um, he has be he has become so much more destructive than we could imagine. And hearing Jim share this latest information, you know, my reaction, Bill, is that I'm not shocked. I mean, we have said as Democrats from day one. All the way back into 2012 and 13, where uh, then candidate uh, Donald Trump and citizen Donald Trump 
was questioning the birther issue here in Georgia with former President Barack Obama. And so this is this is the creation of all the people who voted for Donald Trump. And to hear that he literally told a sitting U.S. senator, threatening her, that if you do not go out and support me, I will bash you on the stage and talk bad about you. I mean, that is just so unethical. And what's so sad, Bill, is that Kelly Leffler probably was going to lose anyway. And so she had to go out and she forced and was bullied to support him. And so I just think he should resign right now. This whole invoke the 25th Amendment, this whole 14th Amendment idea uh, that I'm hearing, then also we got to talk about impeachment. I just think the most honorable American thing that President Donald Trump can do right now is just to resign from office. Yeah, we're going to talk about this newest uh, uh, possibility, the 14th Amendment, a little bit later in the show. But, Jim, let's, because the Capitol, uh, because the legislature does convene at the state Capitol uh, today, I'd like to move the conversation to that for the time being. Um, And we'll come back to what's happening in Washington in a little while. Um, Jim, uh, your colleague Greg Bluestein had a long piece in this morning's paper in which he detailed... uh, just how tense relationships are among many Republicans as they meet in this legislative session. And, of course, one of the points he makes is that Governor Kemp, who, um, as Greg puts it in his article, uh, at one point feared only that in 2022 he would face uh, Stacey Abrams probably in a challenge to his uh, tenure, uh, now has to worry that there are, are Republicans who might challenge him in a primary, and he is considerably weakened in trying to pass a legislative agenda. Uh, give us your thoughts on that. Well, well, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's uh, he is, uh, you've, you've got uh, Donald Trump promising to, to run some, somebody against him, uh, Doug Collins is the immediate uh, name that comes to mind. I'm not sure that that in in the end he will. Uh, the the good news the good news for Pence, or I mean for 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 Brian Kemp, may be the fact that uh, that Raphael Warnock uh, has to run for re-election in 2022, and so you are going to have uh, some some uh, Republicans who may have thought about a challenge to him to uh, to uh, instead jump into the US Senate race uh, and but 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 the, the problem is and and you know this is the, this reminds me of ancient days when Zell Miller challenged Herman Talmadge for the US Senate seat mm-hmm. and 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 Herman beat him Herman beat Zell but uh, but it was uh, uh, he was so weakened that that he lost the general election to Mac Mattingly and uh, that's the danger that that, that the Brian Kemp faces right now. Well, let me ask you this question and then turn it over to Julianne and Theron as well. Uh, are, do, do you sense that Republicans at the state capitol are so at odds with one another that they are going to have a hard time cobbling together an agenda that uh, they can uh, agree to move forward with? Oh, absolutely. Already, look, you've got, you've got uh, again, I'm bringing up the name of Burt Jones, state senator from Jackson, uh, who's always had, had, had greater ambitions uh, beyond the Senate. But uh, he's already talked, he and, he and Brad Raffensperger are talking about uh, a wholesale gutting of the, Georgia's uh, no-excuse absentee balloting uh, process. 
And you already have Jeff Duncan, uh, the lieutenant governor, House Speaker David Ralston saying, no, we don't, you know, we may we may tinker with it a little bit, but we're not making any wholesale changes. Uh, and, and, and of course, you, I mean, we had uh, Calvin Smyrie on the radio on, on, on our show on Friday here, uh, uh, just, just drawing a very, very bright red line on that issue. Galloway, thank you for setting that up. Uh, Theron, I want you to hear what Calvin Smyrie said in a very strong statement about any effort to, number one, eliminate no excuse absentee balloting or to make any other decisions to vote on any other plans that would curtail the voting rights of Georgians. Here's Calvin Smyrie and then Theron and Julianne. I'd love to get your thoughts. People have died for the right to vote. And uh, we are just not going to stand idly by. And uh, this is a very, very sensitive issue with a lot of us because we, 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 we've borne the pain. We've borne the suffering. And people like John Lewis and, and C.T. Vivian and, and, and Joe Lowry, they made it possible for people like me to run for public office and to have a, a longevity of service in our state. And anything to abridge the right of anyone rights to vote to, to, is an affront. And I take it as such. And, and I will fight as vigorously as I possibly can, along with other members of the Democratic Caucus, to make sure that the people in the state of Georgia have the right, and we do not, we're not going back. We're not going back. Theron, he threw down a very strong gauntlet, uh, and I would think it's going to give some Republicans uh, a a reason to rethink just how far they want to go with this. I mean, that's why I love Chairman and Dean Smyre. And just for our listeners, Bill, listen, let's just, you know, really educate people on who uh, Calvin Smyre is. He is the go-to person for not just Democrats, but the chief knows this. When you want to get something done in Republicans, uh, you go to Calvin Smyre first, and he's sort of the guy that's oftentimes the speaker depends on to try to make sure that we can get a deal done. But to hear the tone of his response, Bill, shows you what's at stake. And that is, is that the Republicans lost. They got to get over it. I mean, my good friend Julianne, I think, is making – strides towards moving on to, you know, healing this country and bringing Georgia back together. But they lost. And when they start losing, Bill, they want to start changing the rule of the games. You know, I remember a time when I first started doing campaigns back in 2002, 2004, absentee ballots and and, uh, mail-in ballots were the strategy that a lot of Republicans did to beat Democrats. I mean, do we remember the Christian Coalition and Ralph Reed and all these folks? How just magically all these mail-in ballots and these absentee ballots would just appear on election day or thereafter, and that was one of the reasons why Republicans did so well. But I just think that you know, thank you, Speaker Ralston, thank you, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, for speaking up and saying that this should not even come up during the legislative session. But the truth is, Bill, it is. When you name some of these elected officials, particularly Senator Burke Jones, uh, who is made it his mission to try to divide this state, to try to take a, the world's busiest airport, the most effective airport. And now he's continuing down this road of destruction and trying to take away people's right to vote. I think this is so devastating to the, uh, to the Republican Party that right now we know in Georgia is totally dismantled. It's a proxy war going on. They got to rebuild from the ground up. And you have this faction of the Republican Party that's going to bring up absentee ballot, no excuse absentee ballot, to suppress the vote 
in Georgia. And so I totally back up what Kyle McSmiley said. And as Democrats, we're going to fight them. We live in a blue Georgia now, Bill. It's a new day. This Republican dominance that we've had to experience for 18 years, it's over. We're going to do what's right by the people. We're going to protect people's voting rights. And we're going to try to heal this state and bring people back together. So, uh, Julianne, I want to bring you in. I do want to point out, that just in case our listeners don't remember this, Republicans still do have the majority in the legislature and control right now, the governor's mansion. So there's still a powerful force downtown. But, Julianne, I was sort of fascinated by Ralston's drawing such a sharp line, a hard line about uh, eliminate, not eliminating, no excuse, absentee voting, because last year— he made it quite clear that he does worry about uh, fraud in absentee balloting. So in, in some ways, I wondered if he back then was paving the way for curtailing in a dramatic way absentee voting. But that's not the direction he's ended up going, Julianne. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure where he is um, on, on that issue as far as how he feels about it legislatively and politically versus how he feels about it um, ethically. There's most certainly infighting like I've never seen that's going on in the Republican Party before that needs to be sorted out. I I do expect uh, there to be a battle when it comes to to these no excuse absentee ballot um, initiatives that that Republicans are going to be fighting for as well as as extending photo ID um, with regard to. Uh, to that infighting that we were talking about. Yes, there are different factions within the Republican Party, but there are also people within the GOP um, that see what they view as a wounded governor, as a wounded lieutenant governor and a wounded secretary of state, and a lot of people jockeying for a position to try to uh, have a place for themselves to, to run for those seats, I believe, in 2022. So I think, you know, a lot of what you see is also that. So it remains to be seen what will happen. I I do hope that that the Republican Party is going to to have the kind of leadership that we need to bring us together and unite us rather than divide us. I think that, you know, Saren and I are friends. We we obviously disagree on on the road on how to get to a better America, but we both love this country and we both want a better America. I will respectfully disagree with him, though, when calling Georgia blue. Um, we most certainly, the Democrats <laughs> did win the two Senate races and they won the presidency, but we are still a red state with our with our statewide election or our statewide elected officials, as well as holding a majority in the House and Senate. But Theron will tell you that the day after the runoff, I texted him. And I told him, even though I'm heartbroken about losing the Senate, I wanted to commend him on his hard work. And, um, you know, like I said, we we see things differently on policy, but we're friends. We both love this country. And I hope that not only will the Republican Party heal, I hope this entire nation will heal. And that, and that means bringing Republicans and Democrats together. Thank you, Julianne. And, and tell is, you what we're going to do, that Jake. That is for Bill. Go. She did. Thank you, Julianne, for the text. I want to confirm that for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Thurman. All right, look, we got to get to our first break. Jake Thurman has just joined us, uh, and we will uh, include him in our conversation and hear from him 
uh, from his perspective, what is happening right now in Washington. We'll be right back. This is Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Welcome back to the show. Um, we're uh, glad to have Jim Galloway, of course, with us there in Johnson, Julianne Thompson. And now we're joined uh, by Jake Sherman. Um, many of you know that uh, during the years of the Trump administration, uh, Jake and his partner Anna Palmer became must reading uh, every day, a couple times a day, uh, when they uh, launched their uh, newsletter for uh, Politico. Uh, it, it became the sort of thing that if you weren't keeping on track of what they were saying, you were missing a lot of important news out of Washington. And Jake specifically became a, a, a reporter known for breaking one scoop after another. Now, Jake, Anna Palmer, and John Bresnahan have uh, started their own uh, enterprise. It's called Punchbowl, and uh, it is still available uh, as a daily newsletter, uh, you can subscribe to the morning edition of Punchbowl for free, and then there are added benefits you can get uh, from Punchbowl if you become a paid subscriber. All that said, Jake, it is wonderful to have you here on the beginning of a very consequential week in Washington. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. Happy to be here. Um, let me start by letting you tell people why you have called this punch bowl, because I think it leads into a conversation about just what your beat is. Yeah, so it's called punch bowl because punch bowl is the Secret Service nickname for the Capitol, and um, we view power um, as emanating from the Capitol. Anna and myself and um, John Bresnahan have all spent a lot of time in the Capitol. That said, that's not going to be the... Um, the, uh, um, the the end-all, be-all here. We are going to be covering power wherever it's exercised and however it's exercised. But our specific focus is on, is on Congress and the power in the leadership and the power in, um, on Capitol Hill. So um, we are tripling down on what we believe to be our area of core competency, which is Congress. So the reason I wanted you to explain that is because before we talk about what's happening politically on the Hill today— I want to get your personal reaction to something. Uh, that's where your office is. That's, that's your beat, the United States Capitol. Uh, we talked at the beginning of the show about this horrifying new video that has emerged showing a Capitol Hill police officer being dragged away from one of the entrances to the building and badly beaten by the insurrectionists wearing uh, Make America Great hats, carrying Trump flags, and... I don't think we know the condition of this officer. Maybe you do. But, but the point I want to ask you to talk about is when you saw that, uh, aside, in, in addition to all the other videos that are emerging, what's your personal reaction to what happened last Wednesday and where were you when all of this was playing out? Well, I'm talking to you right now from the third floor of the Capitol, from uh, H304, which is the House Periodical Press Gallery. 
Um, just about, I would say, if I were to stand up right now and walk down to the House floor, it would maybe take me a minute, most likely 35 seconds. Um, and I'm, uh, you know, a little bit, maybe a minute from the Senate floor. So this is where I live. This is my life. This is the place I've been going to work for a long time. And um, I, uh, I, I'm still processing it, as a lot of my colleagues also are. Um, it, you know, it, it would be like, God forbid, having your house invaded by by a mob. And that would also be a non and not a, um, a pleasant experience. My my reaction is uh, I'm waiting to see some meaningful reaction from people, um, uh, people aligned with the president who said, you know, we, we can't win with weakness, go up and march to the Capitol. Um, the president has been pretty silent on this, which is um, really something. So listen, I, I, I have a job to do, so I can't you know, I have to I have to do my job, which is covering Congress because people count on it. And I don't mean to say that as like a um, uh, that this is some noble and high calling. But like, I just can't spend a ton of time being very, uh, very worked up about it because I have a job to do. And, and um, we all do. So, you know, it was it was horrible. It was horrifying. And it was a day, unfortunately, I will never forget. Hey, Jake, um, if if I could just ask you to kind of elaborate on 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 one thing, the one thing that I find missing from this is our our, our detailed accounts uh, from law enforcement about what happened when. If 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 this were happening happening on the streets of the city of Atlanta, we would be getting some regular law, law regular law enforcement briefings. I'm not seeing that happen uh, in the Capitol. What's 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 the state of of news dissemination from the Capitol Police? If if you could explain that for, for us. Yeah. So um, uh, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's terrible. It's it's uh, it's an abomination, Jim, and I. And um, uh, I don't know how to otherwise explain it. I would say the following: um, Number one, the Capitol Police is not um, is not responsible. Is not responsive to. They don't have public public record requests. They are completely shielded. They don't have body cameras. I mean, they have not given. They have not spoken to anybody. Getting information out of the Capitol Police is like getting information out of the Kremlin. I mean, it's just, it's a complete abomination. Um, and, and remember, Jim, and, and I think a lot of people don't rec- don't realize this, this, and I only know this because I was here, the following agencies responded to this incident in the Capitol. Capitol Police, Secret Service, the ATF, the FBI, Park Police, and D.C. Metropolitan Police. So six people, uh, six agencies responded to this incident, and now the FBI is investigating and the uh, Department of Justice has, and I, I actually, we had a conversation about this this morning, if we were going to put it in our morning newsletter. I was arguing for it. And my colleague, John Bresnan, made the point that they're making arrests. We really can't, you know, we can't, you know, if we if they were, and I said, listen, they're making arrests, but they're not talking to anybody at all. And they're not giving any information. And the FBI director, Jim, and I mean, it's just, you know, they are calling it a siege. <laughs> they said the Capitol was under siege. I mean, if that is the reality, we need to know more information. Yeah, um, Theron and Julianne, let me bring you into the conversation as well. Theron, um, Jake makes his point that uh, even uh, six days, five days, whatever it is, after this, uh, these insurrectionists stormed the Capitol, um, we're getting not enough information about uh, how this happened. We're not getting enough information about... I mean, we're hearing about the individual arrests that are taking place, 
uh, but we're, we're not starting to get any kind of information about how this could have happened in the United States Capitol, Theron. Well, I think we got to call it again what it was. It was an insurrection. It was uh, an act of sedition. It was people who were incited by the president of the United States of America to go and, and, and to paraphrase his word, show strength, protest these election results. But let's also talk about the double standard that the Capitol Police is living by. Like, we remember seeing those images, Bill, when the Black Lives Matter protests were going to um, peacefully conduct a peaceful protest in front of the U.S. Capitol. And you saw the National Guard. You saw Capitol Police, right? And let's also just say that had those people been African-Americans, had those people been brown folks, we would have saw so much more force. And I and I sad to say that we would have saw people murdered by these police officers. And so to not have the level of transparency to communicate with the American people about exactly what happened during this this riot, uh, during this insurrection. But also we need to know what were the plans leading up to the event? What type of intelligence did you have? And then as Jim said, why are we not getting more information about the plans going forward? Because I don't believe this is over, Bill. I think that this is only the beginning of these folks who support President Trump, his supporters, who do not want to heal this country. Therefore, they, they want to take their country back. And so I just think that there's a double standard that the Capitol Police has put in place. And we've got to make sure that the media, the elected officials, but more important, us as citizens, hold them accountable. I want to, Julianne, get you back in the conversation in a minute. But, Jay, can you explain to us what we expect to see unfold uh, today on uh, on the House side? Um, The it it is my understanding at this point that uh, Speaker Pelosi sent a letter essential to her colleagues, essentially saying that they want to pass a resolution insisting that Vice President Pence begin the process of invoking the 25th Amendment and that if he doesn't respond to that within 24 hours, they will introduce articles of impeachment. Have I got that right? You do. Um, but uh, it's a little bit of a show, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, because what Pelosi is trying to do is she's trying to move that legislation on unanimous consent, which means the Republicans would ha- would have to agree to this and they're not going to agree to it. Um, um, the House is not in session today. It's in what we call a pro forma session. So anything that gets on the floor needs the consent of both parties, which obviously this doesn't have. So um, I think that uh, uh, the House is going to move on Tuesday to impeach Trump again. I think the people, uh, you know, single digits, the Republicans who vote for it will be in the single digits. I, I do think there is, you know, I, I think that if in a Democratic session, um, a Democratic majority, rather, um, there will be uh, at least some Republicans who will want to ban Trump from serving in office again. Will they be able to get to 60, which will be the threshold next Congress? I don't know about that. Um, But anyway, uh, that's what we're going to see happen today, and that'll happen at about 11 a.m. Julianne, there are any number of Republicans, including Kevin McCarthy and others, who have suggested that as horrifying, that these events of last Wednesday were horrifying, they condemn them. They say, no, but now is the time we have to try to come together. We have to try to heal. An impeachment is absurd with only one week left in the president's uh, tenure. But the House seems determined, the Democrats in the House are outraged, and they seem determined to uh, want to make a very strong statement 
if nothing else, to be able to uh, say that President Trump becomes the first president in American history to have been impeached twice. Your your thoughts about that, Julianne? Um, well, I it's it's not surprising that that they want to do that. I mean, it's that's it's something that we should have all expected. And as Jake said a moment ago. Um, the way that it's being brought forward by unanimous consent um, about asking Mike Pence to invoke the 25th, it's um, it's difficult because Republicans can't vote individually on that, and they have to vote either up or down. Um, but if I could for just a second go back to something that Theron said, because I want to build on it. Um, he, he talked about the difference between the Black Lives Matter protests and what happened at the Capitol. And um, and I know that he was by no means saying that there was any sort of moral equivalence to what happened. Um, but, but I just wanted to say this. I think that we as Republicans have to do some self-examination. And, and I'm starting with myself. I mean, we could, we could go in this constant circle of, well, they did this and then they did this and, and, and both Republicans and Democrats could go in a never ending circle about that. So we have to start as Republicans with ourselves and deal in this situation and clean up our own house first. And I know that during the Black Lives Matter protesting, when I saw the riots and the looting going on, I didn't want to believe the peaceful protesters when they said, I want nothing to do with violence. This isn't us. So for those of us who were willing to accept the word of those that were at the Capitol that said, I was not violent. These people do not represent me. I, I want to say that I am guilty of being hypocritical for believing that, but not believing those peaceful Black Lives Matter protesters when they said, I am not violent, and those people who are being violent do not speak for me. So I think that we have to do a lot of self-examination. And, you know, the, the saying that says, you know, let there be peace and let it begin with me, that's, that's just how, what I'm trying to express by saying what I just did. Um, Julianne, there are people who associate you very strongly as a pro-Trump Republican. And they and I only bring this to your attention now because they're starting to tweet to us and send me emails already. Um, and, and I'm not going to ask you personally to comment on it, but Jim, I think it's safe to say, having known Julianne for some time, we've watched an evolution in her thinking about where she is as a Republican. And I only want to mention that briefly, Jim, uh, because I think some of the comments are really uh, unfairly directed at her, Jim. Well, here and this is this is the thing that's become very very wrong with with American politics, Georgia politics, Southern politics, is that we demand people change. We demand that they that they come to to our side and and their thinking. And when they make a, a move in that direction, uh, there are people who are who who are uh, uh, immediately say, "Well, you should have done that long ago." Uh, and okay. and I don't think I don't think that we can uh, if 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 we keep moving in that direction where we're not going to be anything but more and more polarized. Theron, a quick comment from you, because I want to get to, to, to talking about the polling we're seeing on this incident. 
Yeah, and I just want to say something. And listen, Julianne and I are friends, and as she mentioned before, we disagree probably on 99.9% of most issues. But I think, yeah, I see the comments as well, Bill. And I think what I would tell these folks who are saying, well, why are you guys letting Julianne off the hook? She's been a supporter of Trump for five years. And my response to that is, is that, yeah, I mean, Julianne knows that she has supported President Trump and has been unwavering support. I also remember having a robust conversation, Bill, you may remember, with Julianne's husband. Uh, I think that was in D.C. at the time where the Black Lives Matter uh, protest was going on. There were some destructive people, but the majority of the folks were there peacefully protesting. And so I think what I want to do today as a Democrat is say, hey, we won, but also we got to make sure that we remain friends and we remain civil when we communicate with each other. All right. Before we take another break, Jake, I know we're going to see a lot of polling about how Americans responded to to uh, the riot last Wednesday. Um, I, the YouGov poll that was released on Friday afternoon is a pretty quick uh, turnaround from the Wednesday afternoon events. They talked to fourteen hundred fifty. They they used a registered voter screen and. Uh, Jake, as you know, 62% said they viewed the riot as a, quote, threat to democracy. But but among Republicans, when you do the crosstabs, 52% said they hold Biden, not Trump, responsible for inciting violence. Only 26% of Republicans blame Trump. And YouGov found that 45% of Republicans, and I find this a little hard to believe, approved of those who stormed the U.S. Capitol. So you're welcome to comment on any aspect of that you'd like. But for those people who think the Republicans are about to turn around and suddenly get in line uh, as opposing uh, the Trump policies, this poll suggests other things, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I also would would uh, view the YouGov, the YouGov poll with a bit uh, a grain of salt. It's, it's really early. It's an online. Not that there's anything wrong with online yeah. polling. My former employer at Politico used online polling with Morning Consult. I just think it's early. I mean, a day after the event is a, a really early time to judge public opinion. But the reality remains, and you guys see this, <clears throat> excuse me, in Georgia almost more than any, as much as anywhere else. Um, uh, most people go home, and you could see this in your delegation, and and face um, uh, audiences that are more and more polarized, and districts that are more and more on one side than than anything else, where people's people's you know primary political hurdle is a, is a primary challenge, right? And and so that lends them to be you know to play shirts and skins, so to speak, and and I think that's that's just a, a function of our politics right now. Well, I think what you just said is really interesting, and, and let me just ask you and then bring everybody else in on it. So what you're suggesting, what's interesting about this is um, a Josh Hawley, um, a Ted Cruz, uh, given whatever presidential aspirations they may have, where they could face a much larger electorate down the road, should um, they have a lot to be concerned about in terms of what this uh, riot has done to their uh, reputation and their ability to move forward. Whereas here in Georgia, a Buddy Carter, a Jody Heiss, the others who supported all of the efforts to overturn the election because they're living in districts uh, that have been gerrymandered, they don't face the same pushback, essentially, which is an interesting phenomenon. Um, uh, Jake, weigh in and then we'll get Jim. Yeah, I think that's true. I think if you, especially the you know Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has gone completely to the—I mean, I don't know if she's gone. She's 
she is completely on one side of this. And um, uh, we had video of her last week in in a, a closed room, not wearing a mask with a bunch of people. But I mean, in states like, you know, in a state like Georgia, that's a big thing. In a state like North Carolina, that's a very, a, a, an overwhelming dynamic. And it leads to the, I mean, let me just say one more thing. And I'm sure Jim has a lot more, a lot smarter thoughts than this, but um, I would say this, I would say that the majority of the House Republican conference remains with Donald Trump. That's why Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise remain with Donald Trump. I've had Republicans in the last couple of days argue to me the only reason why the majority of the House Republican conference is with Donald Trump is because Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise refused to call him out. So, um, uh, you know, that's that's my thought on that. Yeah. And, and, and Bill, here's something to, to, to think about in Georgia is that this is 2021. Uh, at least uh, at some time this year, the, the 2020 census will be finished, and then we'll have a redistricting session. And and Republicans are going, going to face some. Uh, they're it's 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 going to be an interesting dilemma for for them because they're going to they are not going to be able to draw as many pure red districts. They're going to have to uh, they're going to have to up up uh, minority uh, populations in in quite a few congressional districts and quite a few house and senate districts and if you if you if you go back to the November 3rd election uh if you take a look at all the state house votes state senate votes i think the state house voted uh 51% republican uh state senate voted 53% republican there's that's that's not a big margin that's that's a margin that could change very quickly and and uh, so I, I don't think I don't think that they are as protected as as some people might think. Jim Galloway gets the last word in this segment. All I can say, Galloway, is that with all that's going on, and now you include reapportionment, I cannot believe you're retiring and leaving me alone with the rest of my panels <laughs> to deal it's with. It's all this. yours. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Jake Sherman, in this morning's Punchbowl, uh, you have a lot of great information uh, about what's happening in Washington right now. One of the things you uh, refer to, and Theron Johnson actually brought it up earlier in the show, is this: uh, th- th- there's another element that could come into play here, and that's uh, could Congress invoke the 14th Amendment? What is the aspect of the 14th Amendment that some people think might be used to get Donald Trump out of office early? Well, well, I don't know that it would it would get him out of office early, but it would be it would essentially say that any you know it essentially says that anybody who's sparked an inter- insurrection rather um, uh, cannot hold federal office. There's questions about its efficacy. Um, I, I don't think it's going anywhere, but a lot of people are talking about it and, and suggesting it's it's an avenue forward. Uh, I, I think I, I would say on on Trump's future, I'd say Democrats are just unusually. Uh, motivated to take punitive action against him. And I think if they play, you know, I, I think a censure resolution would pass Congress overwhelmingly. I mean, with two thirds in both chambers. Um, so I, I think that is a pathway forward. If if not impeachment and some other removal technique, I think censure is an obvious an obvious choice for for the for the Congress. But but it does suggest that um that there are complications to how Democrats want to move forward with punishing Donald Trump, uh, that, that they would look for every possible avenue, including this uh, 14th Amendment. Uh, it, this is not going to be easy for them, uh, Jake, and there are political consequences that they may be worried about, their timing consequences, right? 
Yeah, listen, the reality is this, that Donald Trump is going to be in office for the next nine days, whether people like it or not. Um, and I don't have and I don't have any sense that that's going to change. Um, you can't they're making there's they're at the same time making the argument that he's a mortal threat to the country and that he they should hold the impeachment articles until after Biden gets his cabinet. And that's a pretty incongruous argument to make to me. Um, so I would I would say that that, yeah, there are some complications. People are going to have to live with him for the next nine days. Period. The end. <laughs> Theron, are, are you supportive? You you support impeachment, I think, completely. Uh but are you at all concerned about backlash, especially here in Georgia, from some Republicans who, who may use that to advance this argument that uh, he's being treated unfairly, that this is another example of Democratic overreach, whatever? Theron? Yeah, we just can't normalize this behavior. I mean, I, I disrespectfully disagree with Jake. I think Democrats have got to make sure that we continue to push every single avenue that can get rid of this president as soon as possible. I mean, we just cannot forget, Bill, this is a president who basically encouraged his supporters to basically riot and destroy the United States Capitol. That type of behavior, that type of, um, you know, it, it just cannot be tolerated. And so I think Democrats were elected by the people of this country, particularly Democrats, to go to Washington and to make sure that we stop this president as much as we can and as soon as we can. And so and we can't depend on Republicans based on the poll that you just showed us to do anything differently than they have been doing. Unfortunately, Julianne is a small minority in her party. The majority of people in the Republican Party support what's going on in Washington. And we got to make sure that Democrats do everything they can to stop this now. Uh, to be fair to Jake, I don't think I heard him say they shouldn't impeach. I heard, I think I heard him say the reality is it's likely that uh, Trump yeah, will don't, remain in office. I don't have office. an opinion whether they should do it or not. They, they're clearly going to do it. But all I'm just saying is that there's not, it doesn't really have a chance of getting to reality, getting coming to fruition. Julianne, I want to give you a, a chance. We're down to about the last two minutes of the show. I just wanted to ask Jake quickly while we had him, um, the police officer who we saw the videos of that was being uh, crushed by the door. Do we have any sort of an update on that police officer from D.C.? Uh, we don't. We don't know who that was. They've not said who that was. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, we don't have any more information. And again, they're not really being, they're not really being forthright. Thank you. All right. Um, we are going to be watching all of this unfold in uh, the days ahead here on Political Rewind. Um, uh, we've got some interesting shows uh, coming up talking about this. Uh, this week, we're, we're doing a show with uh, former Congressman Dick Gephardt and former U.S. Senator Gary Hart, who want to weigh in on all of this. I'm really looking forward to hearing what they have to say. I spent a lot of time covering their 1988 presidential uh, campaigns, and so it'll be fascinating to get them in the mix on this on this subject. We're going to tape that, and I'll let you know when we're going to put it on the air. Um, in the meantime, my thanks today to Julianne Thompson, to Theron Johnson, to Jim Galloway, the short-timer, and Jake Sherman. Good, best of luck with uh, Punchbowl. I, it's very exciting that you've launched this new venture. And I, and I hope maybe you and Anna every now and then will come back and join us for Political Rewind. It's great to hear your perspective. Would love to, absolutely. Thanks a lot. Okay, everybody, uh, we're out of time uh, for today's show. Thank you, Jesse Neiswanger, Amelia Brock, Sam Burmis Dawes. I'm Bill Nygut. Until I see you tomorrow, please take care, uh, stay healthy, wear a mask, and enjoy 
whatever life feels like to you as we move forward in 2021. Take care.